Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book on Genesis 2 and 3 titled, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 and 3. Now enjoy today's episode of the Eden Podcast. The focus of this episode is 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10. Who went astray? All right. What's going on here? When you were a kid, did you ever have an adult shout something like that in your direction? Then the adult has to figure out who to blame. Often the one who started acting wrong stops just before the adult arrives and the wrong ones get blamed. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul has left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to correct certain overseers in the church who had gone astray. They were teaching the wrong things and they were teaching them in the wrong way. Centuries later, we arrive reading 1 Timothy, and we want to know who's to blame, just who was teaching incorrectly, just what were they doing that was off-limits. And most people end up blaming the wrong ones. How can we correct this? How can we identify who was being blamed by Paul, who needed correcting? It's always best to trust the Bible. When things seem foggy and unclear to us, a closer look is in order. I found the details sort themselves out when we get the facts straight. The details become clear when we read them in the context of the teaching passage in which they are located. This is true for the problems people think they have with Genesis 3.16. People hate to admit it, but when they read their modern translations of the Bible of Genesis 3.16, they end up with a sour taste in their mouth. Sour because God seems unfair in the way the woman is treated in the garden. God appears to curse her body in some way. God appears to place the rebellious man who sinned on purpose and incorrectly blamed the woman in charge of her. But we can trust the Bible. The apparent injustice on two counts goes away when we get the facts straight in Genesis. The details become clear when we read them in the context of the teaching passage in which they are located. In the original Hebrew words of Genesis 3.16, God didn't curse Eve or limit woman in any way. God didn't curse her body. God didn't put the follower of the serpent, the man, in charge of her. The details of what happened in Genesis 3.16 are in our book, The Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3. through It is a compilation of the first eight episodes of the Eden Podcast. So, whether you get the book or listen to season one of the podcast, you can find the details and get the refreshing clarity of God's words there. What about the details in 1 Timothy 2? Chapter 2, verse 8 doesn't say what you think it says, at least not in the Greek text. And this becomes easy to recognize when we don't take verse 8 as part of the previous verses 1 through 7. Verse 8 is not about prayer for the persecutors of the Christians like the previous verses are. Two kinds of disruptors, 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 3, 16. So, the subject becomes how to deal with the overseers who have gone astray in their teaching and have been disrupting the church. Some of the men overseers were creating doubting and disputing by their error-filled praying and preaching in church. Likewise, some of the women overseers had gone astray. 
Both groups needed a period of retraining before resuming their service as overseers. Like Paul, there was hope for these men and women. Apparently, many of them were second-degree sinners. They hadn't sinned on purpose. They had been deceived like Eve and like Paul. Jesus, the faithful word, could restore them. Some of the false teachers were first-degree rebels and liars. They just needed to be stopped. Correcting Disruptors The 23 verses in section 3, 1 Timothy 2.8-3.16, are not about men praying in general, nor are they about women sinning somehow. Paul gives Timothy detailed instructions for correcting the wayward overseers, both men and women, described in 1 Timothy 1.3. I read, Command certain ones not to teach false doctrines. The Greek of this verse early in 1 Timothy is inclusive of both men and women teachers in the church. Because Paul's introductory words about the false teachers in the church are not exclusive to men only, when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we encounter the details about the false teachers in the church, we should be looking inclusively too. We should be expecting both men and women teachers to be involved. Using a rainbow pattern or a large chiasm, Paul addresses the men in 1 Timothy 2.8. He addresses the women starting in 2.9. The turning point of the pattern is located in 3.1. Then Paul speaks about both the men and women at the same time in verses 3, 1 through 10. He winds down the rainbow pattern speaking about women in 3.11 and then the men in 3.12 to 13. Thus, the pattern is a mirror parallel. A. Men. B. Women. C. Both men and women. B. Prime. Women. And A. Prime. Men. 2.8. Correcting the group of men overseers who taught errors. 2.9 to 15. Correcting the group of women overseers who taught errors. 3, 1 to 10, first the key idea, and then advice for both women and men in ministry. 3, 11, about faithful women deacons. 3, 12 to 13, about faithful men deacons. Had you noticed this pattern before? It is a pattern typical of Paul's writing, and it helps us to understand the development of his thoughts and to focus on the main points of the whole passage. Overseers. There were disruptors among the overseers in the church at Ephesus. These were the pastors, the leaders, the teachers in the churches in and around Ephesus. Paul doesn't use their title or name their role in the church from 2.8 all the way until 3.1. Then he refers to them by the general title of overseers. This delay in using the word overseers until farther into the passage is not an unusual practice. It follows a pattern from the Old Testament where additional details are only revealed as a passage unfolds. Take, for example, what happens just as the people of Israel finish crossing the Red Sea and step safely on shore on the other side of the land of Egypt, away from her remaining armies. At first, the focus is on Moses alone. Then it becomes clear that Moses is not alone, but is with his sister. Miriam is right there with her brother, leading the people in their worship of God, who just saved them in a mighty way. Exodus 15. In 1 Timothy 3, 1, Paul speaks of anyone. The Greek pronoun is tis anyone who aspires to oversight. Anyone does not mean everyone. It refers above all to the men and women of 2, 8 to 15. They are the immediate antecedent to the pronoun anyone in 3, 1. Paul then describes the characteristics of acceptable overseers in 1 Timothy 3, 2 to 7. Those who serve as overseers in the church must be above reproach and be able to teach, among other things. Now, Let's look at Paul's advice in 1 Timothy 
Paul divides his thoughts to focus on some men in verse 8 and on some women in verses 9 and following. About those men. 1 Timothy 2.8 is not a nice little verse about people in general praying around the world. What should tip us off are the comments at the end of the verse about anger and disputing. How often are people angry, and how often do disputes break out after prayer meetings where you are? Not often? Never? Is this verse not applicable in your situation? No, it likely is not. It applies to the situation in Ephesus and would apply in similar situations down through time. What was the situation? For one thing, it didn't apply to prayer meetings in scattered locations. Paul was thinking of the worship and preaching services in the local church on Sunday. There are key words in the verse that describe the situation. These are the Greek words for, I wish, in every place, the verb to pray, and the issue of holy hands. In church, Paul begins verse 8 with a command. He says, I want or I wish. For Timothy, Paul's wish was his command. Paul tells Timothy what he wants done in church. He uses three words in Greek to say this. They are in every place. With this three-word Greek phrase, he's not referring to everywhere, nor to all over the world. To the Jews in Paul's day, the holy place was the temple in Jerusalem. Each local synagogue was the place where Jews gathered to worship and to learn. To the Christian Jews and to all believers in the early church, the place meant the place where the church worships. In every place meant every place a local church worships. C.K. Barrett explains this in his commentary in this way, quote, In Jewish usage, place meant meeting place, place of prayer. And there is evidence, especially in 1 Corinthians 1.2 and 1 Thessalonians 1.8, that it became Christian usage too. The author means, in every Christian meeting place. The three Greek words, in every place, means, in church. In every place means, in every local church, in every house church in the great city of Ephesus. These men were among the overseers in every church. To pray. These two words from 1 Timothy 2.8 are a condensed way to describe the activity of an overseer during worship. Naming this one activity is a way to indicate two activities engaged in by overseers. The complete phrase, as spelled out elsewhere, is, quote, leading in prayer and in preaching, close quote. Compare 1 Corinthians 11, 4 and 5. When I was in seminary, I learned that a sermon was only worthy of its name if, when I was speaking before the assembly, I prophesied and spoke forth the words of God as they were found in the Bible. Any stringing together of mere human opinions and anecdotes counted for nothing more than an after-dinner speech in church. When the church in Ephesus gathered together, the believers worshipped, prayed, and preached the word of God. This praying in every place, in verse 8, could be paraphrased as follows. When you are worshiping and teaching in church. Holy hands. In verse 2-8, Paul states that he wants these men to have holy hands. Apparently this was not the case. This implies they lifted up unholy hands. Perhaps this was the unholy result of immorality. Now let's put together these three elements for the men targeted by Paul for 1 Timothy in 2-8. One, in every place, two, praying, and three, with holy hands. 
Obviously, not all, but some of the men among the overseers have been teaching the congregation false doctrines and have been incorrectly leading worship. Their actions are disrupting the church. Their false and controversial teaching has been provoking angry disputes. Paul wants this to stop. Whatever the precise nature of their sins, the result of their preaching, teaching, and leading worship has been anger and disputes. With this being the case, there's to be no more preaching and teaching of disruptive doctrines by these disreputable men in open worship. Paul will give further instructions to Timothy about how to restore these men to service later in 1 Timothy 3. Some women. What about some of the women overseers? In his next sentence, in verse 9, Paul begins with the Greek word likewise, and then he uses no verb. When this happens in Greek, we're to look back to the verb in the previous sentence and pull it down and use it in this one. What is the verb we're to use in verse 9? It's the verb, I wish. Regarding the men, Paul gave an authoritative command to Timothy, I wish for the men to pray and prophesy correctly. He does the same, likewise, for the women. Timothy, I wish for the women to pray and prophesy correctly. Verse 8 is aimed not at all men, nor all the men overseers. It applies to the men overseers who are praying and preaching incorrectly. Because it starts with the word likewise, we can assume verse 9 is aimed not at all women, nor at all the women overseers. It applies to the women overseers who are praying and preaching incorrectly. Right, wrong, right. Paul describes the characteristics of faithful women overseers in the first half of verse 9 and then in verse 10. He contrasts these with the improper behavior of the wayward women overseers in the second half of verse 9 or 9b. Paul's well-known co-worker Priscilla, a founder and teacher in the church at Ephesus, would have been a woman among the faithful overseers, Acts 18. Paul lists five positive characteristics of the faithful women overseers in the church in Ephesus. These five characteristics would have applied to Priscilla. According to verse 9a, these women wore orderly clothing, were modest, and were serious. According to verse 10, they were professing godliness and good works. The Greek action listed in 2.10 is professing godliness with good works. I remember observing how, in French, our professors were described as professing their lessons to us. In Ephesus, the faithful women overseers professed godliness with good works. The word godliness used here is related to the word used in 2.2. But some of them had wandered away from good teaching and good works. If you were a translator, and a translator is also an interpreter of the Bible, what would you think of this verb professing? After I had seen professors in France professing their lectures to us, I leaned more toward the idea that these women were professing what we today would call their Sunday messages in church. Isn't that who Timothy was to correct in Ephesus? Wasn't that the job he was given to do with all the false teachers back in verse 3 of chapter 1? People with certain presuppositions assume that 1 Timothy 3 is for men only, but the pronoun used is inclusive of men and women. These same people come to verse 10 in chapter 2 and assume that the women cannot be preaching like the men of verse 8. Now compare what we have just seen in verse 10 in Greek with popular English versions today. Somehow, extraneous elements sneak in, as you will notice. New International Version 
with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. New Living Translation Women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. New American Standard Bible By means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Holman Christian Standard Bible With good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. Contemporary English Version Women who claim to love God should do helpful things for others. We're in a passage that's torn here and there by presuppositions that the words must mean one thing, even though they clearly say another thing. And it gets worse in the verses yet to come. If we keep clearly in mind Paul's reason for writing to Timothy, and the step-by-step of Paul's march through the people who had committed the same or similar ones to his own three sins, we can keep on track. We can arrive at a true understanding of this portion of the Bible, just as we arrived at a true reading of Genesis 3.16 back in the beginning. You've been listening to the Eden Podcast, and we invite you to visit our website at true316.com. That's T-R-U-3-1-6.com for links to our books, blog posts, and our YouTube channel with more than a dozen in-depth workshops on the seven key Bible passages on women and men from Eden on. You can also receive a study guide on this episode for use in small groups and more. Find that in our blog posts at our website or email bruce at true316.com to request the study guide. The Eden Podcast is brought to you by the True 316 Project. True316.com You can help move forward the True 316 Project. Please visit patreon.com. And thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast.